Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello everyone and welcome to today's LawPod Student Focus episode. Today we are going to be discussing mooting within the School of Law at Queen's. I have the pleasure of being joined with Dr. David Capper, the mooting master at Queen's, and also Sarah Hare and Joseph Liseller, who recently won the Silken Thomas mooting competition at the weekend against Maynooth University, which is a fantastic achievement. So thank you all for joining us today. Dr. Capper, would you like to start off and tell us what are your favourite parts about mitting and what got you involved as the mitting master at Queen? Well, frankly, Lucy, I have known no job satisfaction like uh, seeing students develop in their legal skills, develop in their presentational skills, and just get so much fun out of taking part in mitting themselves. And uh, over the last half a dozen years or so, this school has had a phenomenal amount of success, which Sarah and Joseph have continued for us. And uh, you yourself are contributing to that, Lucy, with uh, your victory alongside um, James last night. I think that there are two particular skills that mooting develops within students. First of all, there is the skill of reading and understanding and applying case law. Uh, It's so important in the common law, but if you were to take a subject like contract law, which was the subject of the moot which Sarah and Joseph did last weekend, there are an awful lot of cases in contract law that you need to know about, but there are not really that many cases that you need to know in depth. And it can be difficult for a student to know what case should I read? What case is really worth reading from beginning to end? Mooting answers that question because in mooting, what you need to do is you need to master a few key cases, really drill down deeply into them. So it gives students an incentive to develop that key skill And the other key skill which I see developed is um, that of oral communication. First of all, in simply making your speech to the court, trying through your oral delivery to sell something to somebody else. It's a key life skill, but also in your ability to answer questions from the judge, to engage in dialogue with the court. Because selling anything, persuading anyone of any argument, is not just a matter of making a rhetorical speech. It is a matter of engaging in a dialogue with that person. Thank you. That's a great answer. And I've certainly found myself that mooting has definitely helped with all of the core modules at Queen's and just really refining your actual understanding of the cases because it can be quite daunting to read an entire case and not really know what the merits are or what the key parts are to look out for. 
And I'm sure Joseph and Sarah, you find that as well through Mitling. It was a definite reason as to why I uh, took part in the Silton Thomas moot. I was wanting to develop my understanding of contractual law, uh, particularly in regard to the issue of frustration, uh, which was a big part of our uh, remit for that uh, competition. And Sarah, how have you found mitting this year? And how did you find the competition as well? <laughs> I find it actually quite um, an unusual experience because as a first year, I just started in September and I've sort of been exploring a lot of areas through mooting I haven't actually studied. So, for example, last year I did a moot in criminal law in the novice moot uh, on the issue of sort of uh, what would you call unlawful act manslaughter, I believe it was. And that was a topic I hadn't actually covered until earlier on this year. So I sort of had like a little taster of what the law would be like in that area before studying it to kind of give me a little bit of a practical understanding of that area of law, how it would operate in court. Yeah, and that's definitely a great achievement to get involved in mooting in your very first year at university. So congratulations. And just on that, for any student listeners that are tuning into this episode, do you have any advice, uh, Dr. Capper, on how to get involved in mooting or what sort of skills that you're looking for in students when they come to mooting? Um, well, to get involved, just simply watch the space, watch for announcements coming from the school, watch for announcements coming from the uh, the Student Law Society, and I would emphasise the Student Law Society particularly. Um, I think this year we've seen Sarah and Joseph come to the fore largely through the efforts of Victoria and uh, others in the Student Law Society in holding those novice moots and the open moot um, each year. So watch the space uh, and don't be afraid to take part in this don't assume that if you're somebody that um, is not rhetorical or used to um, public speaking, that this is not for you. Um, Joseph seems to be a natural, if I can be personal about this, he seems to be a natural in public speaking. And somebody like that um, can do mooting very well, as he has. Sarah, I think, is rather different individual, rather quieter and softer. And perhaps one's first impression would be she's not the kind of person that you would expect to see in court. Well, actually, that's completely wrong. Mooting is for people with good forensic brains and good communication skills on a one-to-one basis. So if you're that person, then get involved in mooting. It is for you. It is your kind of skill. It's an art that you learn by doing. I mean, nobody really can say, I've got the skill set, therefore I should be a mooter. Nobody can really know if they've got that skill set until they have a go at doing it. And one of the things that is so, so difficult for people doing mooting is that one's nerves get in the way of the ability to think straight. And it's the experience of doing it and knowing from that experience that you have done well that helps you to overcome those nerves 
and to develop. And it's been very pleasing from my point of view to see so many people be brave enough to have a go at this. First time it was rough, but they persevered. Second time it got a little bit easier, third time a little bit easier. And as they kept doing it, they got more and more comfortable with the experience. Definitely, and I completely agree about the perseverance and the journey to mitting. Um, just for some background, in my first year, I tried out for the external team and was unsuccessful. But then in my second year, I got on the external team. And now in my final year, I got on the external team again. Um, and we're doing the Oxford University Press Mit. So definitely, it has been a journey. and uh, definitely is for everyone and any year group can get involved as well. And could I now ask what the experience of an actual moot is like? From my rather limited experience so far, it has really depended on which judge um, was listening to your submissions. Some judges are quite heavy on the intervention and like to ask the harder questions. Um, other judges will let you get your submissions through and then maybe ask you a few questions at the end. So really how your intervention handling skills are will really depend on how well you can interact and sort of engage in a conversation with the judge. I got um, a piece of feedback which really helped me uh, last Saturday. One of the judges said to treat the submissions, your, what you're saying, like a glorified conversation with the judge as opposed to giving a speech. You know, to really engage and try to get the judge invested in what you're arguing. That definitely is brilliant advice, Sarah. Um, you're just right because it really is a conversation. And Joseph, on the experience of, have you ever had the experience of friendly and hostile fire? Or do any of you have um, any advice on the difference between the questioning of the judges? It's rare that you'll really have the experience of friendly or hostile fire, uh, certainly not in the case of hostile. Uh, it's really just the judges attempting to interrogate uh, kind of the points that you're making. Uh, certainly there'll be different levels of intensity. Uh, for instance, during the Silicon Thomas moot, uh, I was subjected to um, quite intensive uh, questioning during my submissions. Usually in that instance, you'll have kind of run-on questioning uh, where the judge will ask you a particular question and then will interrogate your answer to that question, which uh, in my case went on for several minutes, uh, which does need to uh, does necessitate that you have a very good understanding of what you're arguing exactly and all the different implications that may have. Or you may have a quite friendly intervention where the uh, judge may make a joke and uh, kind of uh, question one of the things that you've uh, stated. Uh, but for the most part, you just need to be prepared uh, for anything because, uh, as Sarah put it, it's really up to the judge exactly how they're going to uh, present their interventions. So, Joseph and Sarah, obviously, this as this is your first year meeting during such uncertain times, how have you both found the experience virtually as opposed to in a real-life courtroom? Well, obviously, it's a very different experience, and I think it can't really be argued that the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of inf impacted the uh, enjoyment that can really be taken from it. It doesn't really get, have the same feeling to it, uh, but it's also kind of improved the accessibility. Like, uh, I'm not sure that I even would have gone involved in mooting if I hadn't moved to the online format, just because it became more accessible to me in that regard. And Sarah, would you like to tell us about your experience from mooting online? Certainly, yes. I would say it has made, like Joseph has said, a lot of 
the improvements in accessibility for students, particularly in relation to international competitions. There's been a lot of demand um, for uh, spots in these international competitions, such as the Leiden Children's Rights Moot or the Nuremberg uh, Moot in Germany, where these competitions have become very popular uh, due to the accessibility internationally. And I think that's a really good side of the virtual accommodation as it will sort of widen the catchment of these big competitions and really make them a very international and stimulating experience as well. And Dr. Capper, as uh, the Mooting Master at Queen's, has there been a highlight from Mooting at Queen's for you or a particular moot or experience that has stood out to you? I still think today that the highlight for me was the Philpot Curran moot, also at Maynooth University in February 2020. Uh, it was a novice moot, and I drove down to Maynooth on a Saturday morning with um, two Malaysian students, Chu, whom we all know and love, and Shazana. Um, they went to Maynooth, won the competition, and Chu was the best advocate. I have to say that what Sarah and Joseph did last week comes a close second, um, but that was particularly satisfying because neither Chu nor Shazana had done any kind of mooting before. It was such um, a phenomenal boost to their morale and their self-confidence and I think it was just great for the community here, the mooting community here at Queen's. I think that was that was the highlight for me. There have been other wonderful things that have happened as well. Um, a few years ago, of course, Connor Lockhart and Darren Finnegan won the competition that um, you were taking part in last night, Lucy, and that was um, you know, a phenomenal achievement because that really is a high-powered competition and they were up against really really excellent teams and those two lads were absolutely brilliant um but i think i think for me phil Curran at um maynooth last year and the success which chu and shazana enjoyed that was that for me was the highlight absolutely and that's very interesting to hear about the journey and the confidence that mooting instills in students and I think for me, one of the highlights of meeting is the opportunity to learn from all of your colleagues. I've definitely learned a lot from meeting partners and even your opposition as well. And just on um, your recent win, Joseph and Sarah, congratulations again. Could I ask you to tell us a little bit about what the actual meeting problem itself was and maybe what the challenging parts of the preparation were for you? So... As usual, we would split the problem in half and we take split it into the first ground of appeal and the second ground of appeal. And then we would draft our what's called written submissions for the first ground of appeal and the second ground of appeal and then put those together. So we would have our two separate arguments and then put them together in one document rather than one person doing the respondent and one person doing the appellant. Um, as that sort of allows us to familiarise ourselves with what we're going to say through written submissions. And then the first grounds of appeal then was on frustration of contract, where essentially Joanne was a 
person who constructed gyms, home gyms, and she had contracted to build um, this structure for our respondent in this case, Gregory O'Halloran, and he had contracted with her prior to COVID to build a gym for the cost of €100,000. Then during COVID, then whenever the crisis first hit, she claimed that because of her vulnerability, um, her health condition made her more susceptible to contracting a serious case of coronavirus. And therefore, she held that the contract was frustrated. And she also claimed uh, €250 in the form of a liquidated damages clause or a penalty clause, depending on what side of the argument you're on. And that was Joseph's point then. I dealt with the frustration aspect and then Joseph took the penalty clause aspect. So she wanted to claim the 100000 which she had been paid up front because the contract was breached. And then Joseph can explain the penalty clause aspect. Uh, so, yeah, the penalty clause required basically that if the two parties were unable to meet a formally agreed upon a contractual obligation, uh, that they should uh, meet up and discuss these specifics then uh, a payment of €250 would have to be made to Miss O'Connor. The issue then was whether this was a penalty clause or a liquidated damages clause, uh, with a penalty clause, of course, being unenforceable. Uh, I believe this point of law was probably included in the moot given the recent developments in the uh, McDessey and Cavendish case and the uh, Shea and Brescia case in uh, the constituency of Ireland. I was also asked to deal with the question of whether the applicant would get to keep the 100,000 euros, uh, which wasn't really within my remit on the uh, second round of appeal, uh, but it was brought up during judicial intervention. And I think that really highlights that we need to, uh, whilst we do split it into uh, different submissions uh, from different uh, members of council for the uh, various rounds of appeal, it is necessary to know all the aspects of the problem, uh, regardless of what your own submissions might be. Absolutely. Like Joseph says, the judge really likes it if you can demonstrate your knowledge of the entire uh, case and both sides of the argument as well. And you really have to be prepared for every eventuality that they bring up as well. The main difficulty that we had with this case was the fact that she wanted to retain €100,000 on the basis that loss lies where it falls, essentially, which whilst that hasn't been really formally sort of applied or expounded in Irish law. It's something that has been sort of fixed in English law with the Chandler versus Webster case. So you really had to struggle with both the fact that there's a legal reason why she couldn't keep the 100,000 and also the common sense side of the case whenever you're arguing against someone retaining money for having failed to perform their duty under contract. So you kind of have to set aside the fact that it seems ridiculous that this person would hold on to a massive sum of money for failing to perform a contract and just really focus on what you can argue as opposed to what seems against common sense to argue. Absolutely and it certainly sounds like a very topical and useful meeting topic as well and I'm sure you find that it's definitely helped your studies of contract law whenever you come to that in second year. And then how did it feel to win and also how did you find the experience overall? I think it was very satisfying to win. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of prep work that goes into each and every moot. Uh, So uh, because you need to be prepared for anything and you need to establish that everything you're arguing in your submissions has to be uh, kind of watertight, uh, no space for any uh, 
judicial intervention that can undermine your argument or a rebuttal from the opposition. Um, so it's very satisfying to have all that pay off. And I think for Sarah and I, it was also a bit of a relief uh, because we also had the uh, open moot that we took part in on Wednesday of that week, uh, just a few days beforehand. Uh, so there was kind of a lot of pressure to deal with both moots. And I think Sarah was preparing for uh, another even larger moot uh, at the same time. Uh, so there was obviously a lot of work going on and uh, it was good to have that pay off. And Sarah, how did it feel to win the mooting competition at the weekend? It was very exhilarating. And as Joseph said, it was a bit of a relief because uh, we had the open moot and a lot of other things going on at the same time. You know, March is a lot of coursework deadlines for everyone and we were quite flat out. So we were kind of going in with without massive expectations, um, to be honest. And so it was really, whenever we were progressing through the round, it was every round was like, getting more unbelievable that we were still in the competition to be honest um but yeah as I say it was just quite thrilling quite a thrilling experience and uh, one I definitely hope to repeat. (laughs) That definitely does sound like a busy week and I completely agree that mooting is all about the preparation and it's so lovely when all of your hard work pays off so congratulations again. Just to wrap up, could I ask each of you your overall top tip for any aspiring mooters or just any advice that you would like to finish on? The first thing is prepare thoroughly. You really need to read the cases very, very carefully. You need to engage in dialogue and discussion with um, someone to the extent that you can. If I can throw on a little aside here, all credit to Sarah and Joseph at Maynooth because actually they didn't have an awful lot of time to discuss their memorials with me or anybody else beforehand. You know, so they managed to win this even though their preparation was less than ideal. But if you can spend a lot of time in preparation, it really, really does help. You need a good, crisp skeleton argument that the judge can pick up and instantly understand what your argument is. It will assist understanding your oral presentation so much. And when it comes to the oral presentation, the next tip is to speak slowly. Don't read a speech. You've already submitted a skeleton argument, so the need for doing something like that is past. Try to maintain eye contact with the judge or judges and engage in a conversation with him or her. And in relation to that, listen very carefully to any questions that are asked. Treat them as an opportunity and ask the, answer the question that is asked. I'd say my top tips would probably be to have a very good structure behind your all submissions and to know that structure inside and out. Uh, the main issue with judicial intervention isn't so much the interrogation of law. You've done all your prep work for that. You know what you're arguing. Uh, and ultimately, it will often come down to assertions and reference to your authorities. But what can often throw people off with judicial intervention is that it takes you out of your flow. Uh, it takes you away from your structure of your submissions. You need to be able to snap back to that once you're done with the judge's questioning, you've only got so much time, often it's quite brief, and you'll struggle to fit everything you're trying to say into that. Uh, so you need to be prepared to uh, 
keep making your submissions after judicial intervention uh, and not to be kind of too thrown off kilter by that, to be able to think on your feet. And in keeping with what Joseph has said about flexibility, one of the really strong points that I would like to make is that one of the best things I find to do is if you happen to be on the respondent side, um, and that means the appellant, your, op- your opposition is going first, you can listen to what the judge doesn't like about the other case, the other side of the case, and listen to what their intervention is, what their questions for the other side are, and then you can really hone in on that and really make your case appeal to the judge by understanding what the judge wants to hear from the other side and therefore really sort of breaking that open for the judge and appealing in a way that makes the case appropriate for that sort of that direction of thought that's being taken by the judge. Those are all definitely fantastic mooting tips and I think definitely all ones which I hope to apply in my future moots for sure. Um, I think it definitely comes down to what each of you said about just really reading the judge and being prepared and sticking to your skeleton but also having that flexibility I think that's definitely very important and something that I've struggled with during my mitts. Well thank you all for sharing your wisdom and thoughts on mitting and definitely is a fantastic experience to get involved in with Queen's and congratulations again Joseph and Sarah fantastic achievement and also thank you Dr Kalper for your fantastic advice and guidance it's definitely helped us all immensely throughout our mooting journeys and here's to many more wins for Queen's thank you very much 